Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Have you ever gone through a drive-thru at a fast food restaurant and had trouble understanding what the other person on the line inside the building was saying? Why can't they fix this? We've sent a man to the moon. Can we not fix this problem? It's like, yeah, I'd like, I mean, first of all, they come on. I'm sorry, what? Um, I'd like a cheeseburger, no pickles. No pickles. Cheese, no cheese. No, not no cheese. No. Have you ever been there? I'm like, what? So, number one, like, where do they get these people? I mean, you put, because you, because you, because you kind of find it, try to figure it out. You get up to the window and they have the worst. RBF ever. Some of you don't know what that is. They have terrible looks on their faces. Just terrible looks on their faces. They're just, they're just not, not smiling, not happy. And then what happens? They give you the order and you drive off and it's wrong. Like I got a lot of, like I'm fine. I'll eat anything, but my kids are whiny. So I need for it to be right. And, 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 and it, is, it is for this reason that Chick-fil-A is a shining beacon of light. Like in the universe of lazy and lousy, terrible workers. Like, thank you, my pleasure. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, dude, does anybody in the fast food industry besides Chick-fil-A actually train their people? Or do they show up that day and then they put them on the window? Now, to be fair, to be fair, I do have some experience here. Because when I was 15 years old, 15 to 19, I worked at a place called, a fine establishment called Wendy's. It's very greasy in there. But I worked the window. And the window is hard to do because there's a bunch of stuff. You, you, you would think that all they have to do is talk to the person uh, who's dro- driven up, right? But that's not all they have to do. You, you talk to the person, you take the order, you punch it into the, the cash register, you make the drinks that they order, and then you, you, you receive the money, and then you make change, and then you hand them the order, and there's all this stuff involved. And let's, I mean, so it's hard, Right? But, but let's be honest, people who pull through the drive-thru, sometimes they're the idiots, <laughs> right? I mean, like I, I can remember various times people would pull up to Wendy's and order a taco. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> or, uh, my favorite is, I'll have a Whopper. <laughs> so so my, 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 and, and many times when they're driving through, right, like, they drive through late at night, right? Like we always stayed open until midnight, and, and they drive through late at night. Now, let's be honest. They're, they're driving through because they got the munchies. You know what I mean? So they're messed up, right? Like, like there's, this, there's this thing 
that happens at the drive-through window. And, and I, I remember being a, a young, I mean, I, I was 15 years old when I first started working there. This pinstripe shirt that was like five sizes too big. And I was super skinny and scrawny. I was like a hundred pounds dripping wet. And, and I was like, I was like, they had this weirdo crazy retro hat, like from the like 1920s. And it would hang and droop over my tiny pinhead. And it was just, it was just awful. And it was terrible. And I was, I, I was the pastor's son from the church right around the corner. So people you know, they, they, they started to learn who I was. And then they, they, everybody, everybody at that, at that store had a potty mouth, right? Like they just, uh, they just let it fly. And, they, and then they found out, oh, he's a pastor's son. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said that. I, which makes it worse. And so I remember like being out there 1 a.m. right after closing, we closed up the restaurant and, and people gathered in the parking lot and they'd drink some beers and it would be great until the, police threw, until the police would show up and then they'd throw their beer in the field, right? Um, and I was there with my little root beer. <laughs> so dumb. And I'm, and I'm trying really hard, but here, so here's the thing. Because of my, my temperament is, I got a little perfectionist streak, right? So you can ask my team about that here and they they know it and 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 my kids also know it too well and and so I want to do a good job and my dad trained me he raised me to do a great job wherever I was whatever I was doing to work hard so I worked hard but I saw so many people they just cut the corners they would lie they would even steal from the company it was just rampant now when I think about this, that was many years ago now, but it doesn't seem like things have improved. In fact, if you will do a little research, you will find that in our current working environment, the current workforce, people are trying to find capable, smart, diligent people who will work, who will have ethics, and they can't find them. There is a struggle to find people who will work hard and be great employees. I was looking around at some, at some articles and there's an article I found called, Can You Train Business School Students to Be Ethical? <laughs> right? And they're asking the question because they couldn't figure out how to do it because they talk about making it a part of the curriculum, right? But, but the truth is, like when they'd ask a, a, a you know, a student, what, why do you want to do this? Of course, they'd say things like, um, I, I want to make a difference, or I, I love a challenge. And, and making gobs of money was always third on the list. But then when they get into the, the realm of the corporate world, when they get to the moment of pressure or temptation, they fail. They lose somehow their ethics, and so I want to talk about this today because we're in this series on work. We're in this series talking about work life, your work life, and how much it matters, how much it matters to God, and how you are called to be a person who works. You were made for it, and God has something in mind for you to work with in his kingdom. Like he wants you to understand he's called you to whatever you're doing. And so when I, hear my, when I hear my friends and CEOs and people who manage or people who own businesses and they, and they talk about this, my first thought is, like, where are all the Christians? 
where, where are all the Christians? And because Christians should thrive in this cultural void. Right? That's, that's how it should look. Whatever your job is, whatever company you're working for, I, think, I believe God's called you and me to be the kind of people who work with great skill. That we've developed our skills and we have a strong moral compass that is unshakable. That's what you and I are called to. Because at the end of the day, you and I are called not just to work for men and women, but we're called to work for God. We work for the Lord. In fact, that's our key scripture, key passage, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Paul, the apostle, is writing here and he says, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. That means everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so I want to talk today about five ways that you can do this practically. Like, how do you practically work for the Lord? And I, and I, I want you to think, as I'm going through these things, I want you to ask yourself the question, do these, do these things describe me? Are they true of me? Because if you can really, here's the deal, if you can really settle your work ethic, and if you can do it as young as you can, settle that you are committed to working hard regardless of what you do, the trajectory of your life will be awesome. If you don't settle your work ethic, then you will have disappointment after disappointment and pain. Whether you're an employer or an employee, there are five things that need to be true of us. All right, number one. Be diligent. Be diligent. The word diligent in the original Hebrew language it was, this was written in is the word harus, and it means to be sharp. Everybody say sharp. And industrious. I know you wanted to say it, didn't you? I didn't tell you to do it, and I wanted to see who would, you know, just... Industrious, sharp and industrious. This is the kind of person that everyone is actually looking for. Proverbs 12, 27 we're going to look a lot at the wisdom book of Proverbs today. But it's, it says, the precious possession of a man is diligence. The precious possession of a man is diligence. Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. See, diligence is a powerful commodity in our lives. As a matter of fact, it's one of the qualities of the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31 is a descriptor of the woman that every man wants to marry. Here it is. Proverbs 31, 13 says, she works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. See, the diligent worker is a hard worker, not a lazy worker. And I don't think this takes a, like a doctorate degree to figure this out. It's not that it's not the lazy worker who gets the raise or the promotion, right? It's the diligent worker who gets noticed. Proverbs 12, 24 says, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. I like the way the, the New Living Translation says that same verse. It says, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. 
I think it's so true. It's just true. You show me anybody who's leading anything of any kind that's successful, you will see a hard worker. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk only to poverty. In other words, if all you do is say, you know what, I'm really gonna do this one of these days. I got a dream, I'm gonna start a business, or I'm gonna start a whole bunch of businesses, and all you do is talk about it and you never do it, you're not gonna create anything. It'll just be the same old thing over and over again, and you'll end up poor. But if you get to work, if you roll up your sleeves, if you're willing to work hard, it's amazing how the doors will open for you. Howard Schultz is the founder of Starbucks, right? And it's incredible what happened to him. He was trying to start this coffee business, this coffee shop, and he went to over 200 banks, 200 banks to try to get his original loan, 242 banks he talked to. And not only was he desperately trying to secure a loan, his wife was pregnant with their first child. And after a year of rejections, right, just rejected, rejected, over, over a year, he was finally able to secure a $400,000 loan from a friend, a doctor, and a couple of investors. And of course, the rest is history. We all now believe in $6 coffees. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? I almost left this verse out, but I just love the word sluggard. <laughs> sluggard, I think we should bring it back. <clears throat> when will you get up from your sleep, it says. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. See, here's what this verse means. It means it doesn't all happen to you at once. This idea creeps up on you. That sense of laziness and, and sleeping in, it makes changes to your life a little bit at a time until finally you wake up one morning and realize, I don't have what I wanted and what I thought I could achieve. See, being lazy is the opposite of being industrious. The sluggard or the lazy person takes no initiative. They waste their time. They're unproductive and reap the consequences of that laziness. On the other hand, if you're faithful, if you're faithful and diligent and working hard, you're going to sleep well. In fact, the Bible says so. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, people who work hard sleep well. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Here's the second way to work as unto the Lord. Number two, develop a skill. Develop a skill. Proverbs 22.29 says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. How many of you know the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? You ever heard that before? Okay, which really crazy. It's a misquote of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin actually said, jack of all trades, master of one. What he was saying is, you got to be good at several things, but be really good at one thing. And that sounds like Benjamin Franklin to me, inventor. This, this guy who was really incredibly intelligent and, and was experimental in a lot of different ways here in the origin of our country. Proverbs 24, 27 says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. See, preparation is how 
you begin to be effective and skilled as a worker. You prepare. Proverbs 16.9 says, the, man of my, uh, sorry, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now, we tend to quote the last part of this verse very often. The, the Lord re- directs our steps. In other words, everything's going to work out. It'll be fine. But I think we forget the first part of this verse that says the mind of man plans his ways. In other words, you prepare, you plan, right? You, you, as you do that, the Lord will begin to direct your steps, but you, you need to move in a direction. I quote my dad. You've heard, maybe heard me say this before. He used to say to me, son, it's really hard to drive a parked car. It is. It's really hard to steer a parked car. And so it's the same with God. Begin to move forward and let God steer you. Let him direct you. And I think when we do that, we start to take ownership of preparation and of, of, of gaining a skill. It's going to reap a reward. The, uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Which is why, by the way, we started One Chapel College. Like we have a vision for ten, at least 10 churches over the next several years to dot the landscape of Austin. And we realized we've got to train the people who are going to lead those churches We need to make sure we're preparing the people who are going to serve in those places. And so uh, One Chapel College is just coming to the end, and they're about to start their new year and their application process. If you're interested in that kind of thing, at onechapel.com, you can check that out. But I believe it's important for every person. It doesn't matter what you're going to do in ministry or in the secular world, it doesn't matter. You've got to prepare and you've got to be skilled. You have to learn how to be effective. You've got to work towards being a, a higher skill individual. Think about Jesus. 30 years of preparation and three years of incredible, amazing, effective work. Okay, so here's the third way that we work unto the Lord in your job, all right? Number three, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Listen to these words of Jesus as he describes an idea in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. In other words, he's saying, "This this is how it worked in the past. You just give people what they give you. But I tell you, he said, and he was unpacking something that was revolutionary. It was a kingdom principle about what we should do as his people, what God's people act like. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and go take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Listen, Jesus was ushering in a crazy idea. This is a concept that he used to help his followers to, to jolt them from what they were thinking to the culture of God's kingdom. The Swiss scholar Edward Schweitzer notes that it is specifically in reference to the power of the Romans, right, that they, that they de- could demand under the law, they could demand that a local serve as a guide 
and a porter. They could make them carry their stuff. And it's this same idea that is, happened, that is uh, articulated again in Matthew 27, 32. And Matthew 27, 32 is where Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry the cross of Christ. And it's these two uh, places in the New Testament where this concept is articulated and translated in this way. Go the extra mile. Go beyond what is your responsibility. Go beyond what is just being required of you. And as we're raising our kids, right, we're all trying to do this. I was trying to do this yesterday with one of our boys. And, and we were moving one into a different room, and, and we went through this process, and we're, we're like, I'd be like, okay, did you, did you vacuum behind the bookshelf? Uh, no, I guess I didn't. All right, go back and, and go back and vacuum behind the bookshelf. Okay, okay, Dad, I'm all done. Everything's good. Did you vacuum underneath the bed? Oh, okay, I vacuum, okay, I vacuum underneath the bed. Like it is our nature to just get away with whatever we can. It's human nature. My kids are not special, they're just humans. <laughs> so, so there's this process. I was talking to Pastor Russ Walker about this from Lake Travis, uh, one of our other campuses. And he says one of the things that they have done is they trained all their kids. They have four kids. All their kids were trained that if they asked them to do something, that they were, after they were done with it, they were supposed to come back and ask, is there anything else I can do? He trained them to ask that question. So he said, hey, you got to clean up your room. Go clean up your room. And they were, in, they were uh, trained and charged. When they finished cleaning up your room, you come back and say, is there anything else I can do? I'm sure it wasn't always that happy. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Look, do you realize that's scriptural? Don't do anything halfway. Don't just be in a half-hearted marriage. Give yourself to that marriage. Make it go beyond what's required of you. Don't just work and do what's on the job description. Go beyond the job description and make the company successful. This is our calling. Now, why? Why is this our calling? Because your actions as God's people will always speak louder than your words. You and I are called to be a light in our sphere of influence. And the first place people are going to look for the light is in what you do, not in your words. Here's the fourth way to work as unto the Lord in your job. Number four, bring God with you to work. Bring God with you to work. Some of you are thinking, I didn't know he wanted to come. I work in a horrible place. <laughs> and I want to read you this little passage from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, but as slaves of Christ, do the will of God. With all your heart, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. 
Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Is that a great passage or what? This scenario that Paul is describing is really challenging because he's talking about people coming to Christ, and some of them were slaves, and some of them were masters, and they had to gather together in the same spot from every socioeconomic part of the spectrum, and he was having to coach them, and Paul's gotten his share of criticism for this kind of verse, saying he somehow approves of slavery. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's not condoning it. What he's doing is he's dealing with the world the way it is rather than just the way he wishes it would be. He's coaching people how to live in the world the way it is and how they should live in it to reflect God's kingdom. I dare say that you and I, we work, we work in the 21st century and I promise you, no matter how bad your work environment is, it probably isn't as bad as a first century slave. So there's a tendency for all of us to complain, to whine about our work environment. But it's so essential that you understand how significant this idea is. How significant the idea of bringing God with you to work is. Because the reality of Jesus in your life has a profound effect on how you handle your crazy boss at work. It has an effect on your horrible work environment or all your weird coworkers, right? Because your attitude and your work ethic has a direct reflection on the reality or the lack thereof of who Jesus really is to you. And I, and I really think there's, a, there's something here that Paul is talking about, and, and I think it happens to so many of us, is we tend to segment our lives. We have this tendency to segment and compartmentalize everything, and this is my work, and this is my church world, and this is my, this is my family, and as a result, there's this growing discrepancy that begins to happen to us. We say we're God followers, but we tr- as we love God, yet it come it, it it how we do business really doesn't reflect our love for God how we do business or how we treat people or how we treat our spouses or how we treat our kids i mean all of these are really important even our internal thoughts and desires right none of this should be allowed to go on without god's intervention without his participation I want you to think about it this way. Think of your life as a house with many rooms, right? You got, you got, you got a, a room here right at the front, goals and desires on the front porch. You got marriage, sexuality, friends, work, finances, career, eating, hobbies. You got a, here's a closet full of secrets. <laughs> closet full of secrets you don't want anybody to know. And the tendency for so many of us when it comes to God is we, we, we come to God and then we just do like an add-on. We add on a room. There it is. And we tend to call it church. And so this is how, this is how God's going to be in my life. And I'm, I'm I, you know, I go to church, it's fine, but you still got that closet full of secrets. Listen, like it's crazy, but we don't, we don't realize God sees it all. But we, we tend to compartmentalize God. And here's the problem. Your faith can't just be one room in your house. You can't just put God in a little room and then go about the rest of your life without God influencing those areas. Listen, everybody, our faith needs to be like the very air we breathe in every room of our house. God has to permeate every area of our lives. Look, he sees it anyway. 
He knows it. The only way you can deal with that closet full of secrets is bring it to him. He, he already knows what's there. Not just, don't just deal with him on Sundays when you're sitting here, but everywhere you live. Bring him to work. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 46. He said, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. This is on one of Jesus' bad days. He was, he was pummeling people, kind of giving it to him straight. Verse 47 says, these words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. And when the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Do you see what Jesus is saying? It's the same thing that God was telling all of his people in the Old Testament. There can't just be another room. You can't just add on Jesus like a side dish. Right? You're eventually going to, here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you're eventually going to f- suffer a crisis. There's a storm that's going to come into your life. And if you haven't built a good foundation, everything will be lost. Build a foundation and, and invite God into it. Number five, don't quit. Don't quit. Once you've found your calling, stay focused. Finish what you've been called to do. Acts 20, 24 says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. See, it was the Apostle Paul's desire and determined commitment to not quit. Now listen, I understand. Sometimes you have to quit a job. Sometimes you need to quit to get onto the place in your life where you should be right? I, I understand that. But a pattern of quitting over and over and over again leads to nothing good. I, I think it's so important for you and I to have an attitude where we don't quit stuff. We don't quit. We, we stay committed to it. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, what, you know what that scripture means? It means from the time you do good to the time you see the harvest is a long time sometimes. And I don't see, oh, I'm doing all this good stuff. I mean, I'm just going to quit. No, you can't quit. There's a harvest that's coming. You just have to believe that it's going to come. You have to have faith that the work you're doing is really going to plant seeds and something is going to happen. You have to stay focused, you, especially when it's really hard. Some of you are sitting in this room and you're in a really hard place. And God wants you to stay focused. Stay focused on him. It's so easy to find a reason to quit. Every single day there'll be reasons to quit. A young man named Walt Disney, maybe you've heard of him, was fired from a local newspaper as his boss thought he lacked creativity. (laughs) Think of that. After a failed animation company went under, he was barely able to pay his bills. He he even ate dog food to survive. Yep. And dog food's a lot better today than it was then. (laughs) 
With his last few dollars, Walt Disney made his way to Hollywood to try and make it big. And unfortunately, his time in Hollywood was just as bad. He was told Mickey Mouse would never work. <laughs> and he faced constant rejection and seemed destined to never succeed. But he didn't give up. He didn't quit. He kept going. And now we all want to go to the happiest place on earth. Here's how I want you to see yourself. It's the way God sees you, by the way. If you're his child, if you're a follower of him, Hebrews 10.39 says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. See, maybe it's your old nature in the past that would have quit, easily quit. Now you have a new nature. This new nature has a stick to That's a real word. And this also means that if you're not dead, then you're not done. If you're not dead, then you're not done. Because as a follower of Jesus, you are the solution to the problems that we face in our city. You're the solution to an employer's problems that he's trying to make his way. You're the solution. The followers of Jesus need to be known for this. I long for the day when Dell and Apple and IBM and Amazon and even Indeed would come knocking on the doors of churches and saying, do you have any people who need jobs? Because we know that your people show up on time. We know that your people are full of energy and life. They have a great attitude and they love what they do. They love uh, being full of, of life. Do you think that could happen? I don't know. I think it's up to us. It's up to you. Here's the, here's the final question. Because I think working for yourself and what you want gets you your rewards. Working for a boss kind of gets you their rewards, whatever they want to give you. Working for God, though, Working for the Lord gets you his rewards. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do I really believe that his rewards are better than these other rewards? Do I really believe that? Because that's going to be the test. That's going to be the moment where you decide. And the question is, which reward do you want? Which reward are you going to work for? Close your eyes, bow your head, and let's pray. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And it's so appropriate that we come to the Lord's table on a message like this because what I want to say to you and what I want to clarify for you is you can't hear this message as me saying, hey, you need to do better. That's an empty way to understand this. What I'm saying is, is Jesus has the power to work these issues into your life. You can't do this on your own. You need his help. And he's interested. He's interested in every area of your life. He will come wherever you've invited him. So I want you to invite him into every realm of your life today. And especially your work. And this table, Jesus sets it because the bread represents his broken body so that you can be healed, so that I can be healed. This cup represents his blood that was spilled for us, spilled from Jesus' body as a way 
of forgiving our sins, our failures, our foolishness. And I want you to listen to the voice of God's Spirit as you're sitting here and as you come to this table. And, and I want you to let Him point out where you need to surrender to Him. Maybe you've got a terrible boss. You might need to surrender to Jesus so you can honor Him or her. Maybe you've got just a really hard season of your life you're in right now. Would you just be willing to believe that Jesus knows and he understands and he wants to help you? We practice open communion at one chapel, which simply means it's not about a relationship with the church. It's about a relationship with Jesus himself. If you want to have a relationship with him, come, participate. We invite you. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, don't feel pressured. Just walk through the line. As, um, as people get up and come to the table and they take the bread and dip, you can just skip the station and walk back around so you people don't have to step over you, okay? Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that this bread represents provision. It represents sustenance. It represents your willingness to help us. We come because we need help. We come, we come because we need change in our hearts and in our lives. We come because we know you have the solution. So have your way in our hearts. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.